With support from the Oregon chapter of the American Planning Association, I'm Chris Damgan. And I'm Ryan Kruger. Welcome to Pints with Planners. On today's episode of Pints with Planners, we will be joined by Peter Ulrich and Kale Roberts from ICLE, Local Governments for Sustainability. They are here to discuss sustainable urban and regional development. Here are their backgrounds in their own words. I'm Kale Roberts. I'm a program officer with the USA office for ICLE, Local Governments for Sustainability, the largest you know, network of cities around the globe working on uh, sustainability and, and climate issues. Um, so a lot of what I do with uh, the organization is to um, help about you know, 200 or so cities, towns, and counties all over the U.S., um, big and small, on their uh, climate change planning and and putting together greenhouse gas inventories and, and other sustainability actions. Hi, and I'm uh, um, Peter. Um, well, in German, my name uh, is pronounced Peter Ulrich. I work for um, the ICLE European Secretariat, and I'm an officer for governance and social innovation there. Um, yeah, so as Kale is working more on, on directly on climate issues, I just work more broadly also on social issues, issues of participation, uh, stakeholder engagement, urban management, um, and then also what's, uh, what has been pretty big for the past, let's say, two years, um, all these you know, large international policy processes like the Sustainable Development Goals and Habitat 3 and how they relate to um, you know, the work that cities do in Europe. Before we begin this episode, some background on the show format is important to share with our listeners. Pints with Planners is recorded in a live setting that captures the nuances of conversations over a pint. This includes background conversations, planes, trains, sirens, motorcycles, and more. As you listen to this podcast, imagine you are sitting with us, joining in our discussion of the global challenges we are witnessing on our street corners. Thank you for tuning in for this broadcast of Pints with Planners. We now join our conversation with Peter Ulrich and Kale Roberts from ICLE about sustainable urban and regional development. Recorded in October 2017 in Portland at the 53rd ISOCARP Congress. So we generally tend to start off our shows with some icebreaker questions. Uh, one that we thought we might get some interesting responses from from you guys uh, with your work internationally. Uh, we've really we've talked about some of our favorite planning games over the course of a couple of our interviews. SimCity's come up a little bit. We were curious if you guys had a famous or a favorite uh, planning game that you might recommend to our listeners uh, to kind of get into the topic a little bit more. And it could be also a board game. It doesn't have to be a computer game. Yeah, exactly. Well, now that I think about it, I mean, I used to enjoy playing... Um, the board game Settlers. I mean, do you have that? In Settlers of Catan. Yep. Settlers of Catan. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, that one I really enjoyed. And um, what is that game called again? Like that computer game, Age of Empires? Age oh, yes. Empires. Age of Empires. Um, Empires. I was a big I'm not fan sure of what that teaches us about planning and so on, but I really enjoyed it. But in fact, actually, I, I do enjoy... Um, creating games myself. Oh. Um, so I mean, it's been some time since I since I did one, but with a um, with a friend of mine at uni, like for one of the classes he was teaching, we came up with a with a role playing game for his students to understand uh, local conflicts about uh, about energy transition, you know, and like the different roles and interests that are there. So I think games are awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you know, one that comes to mind, I, I, I did play uh, SimCity, uh, but uh, another one that was of interest, it was a little bit more of a lower budget game and, and maybe has a little bit more of a smaller but still cultish following is a game called Tropico, or oh. Tropico. Uh, and I think they are now on their fourth release of it. But basically the, the premise of that game, if you're not familiar with it, is you are a uh, dictator of a Caribbean island. And you could basically go through the cycles, basically uh, extracting yourself from colonialism, judging whether you want to follow a capitalist or communist system, and then a post-Cold War system. All the while, you are trying to build up infrastructure, 
local food systems and prevent la revolution from happening to you and you being disposed. So uh, actually you can you can find it uh, if you know the Steam Workshop gaming platform you can buy it for like 10 bucks and uh, you can be very addicted to it very quickly. But um, And how well are you at playing a Caribbean dictator? Obviously poorly. <laughs> well, I was going to surmise that you were quite exceptional at that from your experience in that. Uh, I got toppled I think uh, bef- uh, I was trying to build a space launch complex and then the Russians invaded so uh, I lost my, my head. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. You know on, on, on that same realm there's one that I've really enjoyed called Carcassonne that's similar to Settlers of Catan. Yeah I heard of that. Yeah. I, I recommend that one as well for aspiring gamers out there. So you've got quite a selection here from some of our, our team. Now Chris had an icebreaker that he wanted to, to ask. Yeah, so uh, we have a uh, Pacific Northwesterner in the room. We are in the Pacific Northwest, and we are, of course, visited by a German. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is Pints with Planters. I, I take it we all have had beer before? A couple, um, occasionally. Is, occasionally, yes. Always in moderation, of always. course. Um, is there a particular beer type you like? And, and I'll give you one. And it's, it's actually, you can find it now increasingly in Portland, in, in uh, Düsseldorf in, in Germany. There's a local variety called Altbier, and um, it's a very uh, much a point of a civic pride beer uh, that's now finally getting out. A lot of people know Kölsch, which is out of Cologne. Düsseldorf and Cologne have a rivalry almost like Portland and Seattle does. So actually my dad is from Düsseldorf, and um, although I, I grew up in a different part of the country, but I mean, I'm very familiar with that rivalry, and uh, I had no idea that you find Altbier now in the States. It's a very, very specific uh, local um, local brew. Yeah, and, and a couple of local uh, breweries in Portland, I think Occidental is one of them, actually makes their own alt beer. And uh, awesome. they, they're very uh, much committed to, to preserving that, that Düsseldorf taste. Cool. I think I'm going to go and check uh, check that out tonight. Yeah. I, like our, I like our Portland plugs here that you've got going we on. we got to, man. Keep Portland it local. Pride, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Kale? You got a specific t- taste of varietal that you're really a big fan of right now? Um, not a, a varietal, but I, I mean, I really like Lost Coast Brewery. Nice. It's a brand. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I went to college in, in the Redwood country okay. and, and down there in Humboldt County. And, um, State of Jefferson. <laughs> State of Jefferson. They didn't secede just yet, but <laughs> they might be reawakening that spirit. Um, but yeah, that, that Lost Coast. Uh-huh. I, would, I can get on board with that. They've, they've got quite a few uh, different uh, beers that I really enjoyed. Well, I'm going to plug the one. We've got two here. We've got my uh, the Melvin Brewery. Uh, they actually started in Jackson Hole, and I've really enjoyed uh, sticking with your trend of start staying with the brewery. And then Everybody's Brewing, which is out in the gorge. I've really enjoyed their beers as well. So for those that are coming to the Pacific Northwest uh, or going to the West in general, you've got some great choices here, and it sounds like you've got some opportunities. So thanks for uh, that option. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got some... We, had some great uh, conversation there about some of our icebreakers. Now let's get down to the nut and bolts of what we're here to talk about today. And I want to start off with one of the hardest hitting questions I think we've asked any of our interview candidates in the past. What does sustainability mean? What is the definition? What is the definition? We all talk about it. Does anybody have a bloody clue what it means? Let, I, I've got a fuzzy idea. What, how do I defuzzify that? How do I make it a little bit more clear? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of a lot of people have that question. They hear it as a buzzword these days, and they start to think about things like solar panels or, um, uh, you know, um, food food programs, sustainable agriculture, organics, that sort of thing. But really, what sustainability means is any action or activity that can carry itself forward into perpetuity um, without diminishing the the resource base or the underpinning of of what's upholding that activity. Um, so that has, you know, real implications for when we start to think about cities and, um, and the activities that are going on there. You know, we think of a sustainable city as one that's going to carry itself forward into the future, but uh, it's not just that. We want cities to grow in their vibrancy and, and um, you know, have su- sustainable food systems that, that keep the, you know, the city powered and um, but, you know, energy itself that uh, isn't diminishing the fuel source over time. Um, but then also, you know, sustainability of local economies and, and making sure that people have um, vi- vibrant jobs that are meaningful to them and that provide a living wage and, 
And, and so sustainability is kind of, you know, evolving when we think about cities into uh, some, something that's not so simple as just a, a single power source or um, making sure that your tomatoes are not sp- uh, sprayed with pesticides. You know, it's, it's this more holistic interaction that uh, creates resiliency um, to shocks and, um, and, and just a more livable, vibrant place for people to live. Anything to add, Peter? Um, I think. I mean, I think you you um, you basically nailed it. What <laughs> I what I want to like just add is that I mean, where we come from when we talk about sustainability is really planetary boundaries, right? I mean, it's it's that is the the, the very first um, thought that we have when we think about sustainability that we just have this one planet, and um, there's limited resources, right? So. I, I really always enjoy, I mean, if, if I would have to put it into one sentence, I would really go for what the Brundtland um, report said. And is like, so it's, it's basically sustainable development is the kind of development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And I just read that off my phone to make sure that I get it right. Um, but I think that's really in, in, in one sentence that's what it's all about in principle, and 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 then what what Kale just talked about. That's what mean that that's what you know bringing that understanding into practice. And I think that that's a good encapsulation there of the issues at hand. I really like how you qualified resilience to shocks, um, because I think when we talk about resiliency, a lot of people get hung up on sort of that. Again, that's sort of fuzzy term, but when you talk about resiliency to shocks, it's that ability, ability to bounce back. And then you visited there on sort of that finite resources and a finite global um, availability. And I think that that's something that we kind of think a little bit more narrow-minded when we're thinking about our communities. We don't think about that sort of the global area that we're really really covering there. Now, do those you know, some of these factors that you've uh, touched on here in that broad definition of sustainability, do they characterize a uh, sustainable community? Do you think that there's a characterization there that's maybe even more finite or more granular as far as what a sustainable community might look like? Are there certain factors that you might say that, yes, this if you were going to uh, be scoring it, how would you look at uh, the factors that would be of importance to look at for uh, saying, yes, you are, you have progressed down that road versus, you know what, you still have some more work to do? Hmm. Um, I, I think that's really one of the most crucial questions um, just an example. So I personally, I sit on the assessment team of the German Sustainability Award for cities and towns. So every year we, we, we go out and we review applications from all kinds of cities, all kinds of sizes. And and it's really very much context dependent, right? I mean, there's some there's some just like, you know, indicators and variables that, that you can take, you know, like how uh, you know, looking at greenhouse gas emissions, you know, there's some hard facts that you can take into into considerations. But in the end, I think it very much comes down to um, to to the context of the community. And and for me personally, what what I what I always think about is that um, you know, like transition towards sustainability and thinking about limited resources can be a very scary thing. You know, it can be like. Uh, something that that gets people into a defensive position of like no i don't want to you know lose my way of life uh, but you can also look at it in a, in, a, in a positive kind of way you can think about okay what is the good life what do i need to live well um and and that you know that does not necessarily have to depend on consuming a lot you know it can be just having more time with you for, for spending it with your friends and family. That can be quality of life, and that is not dependent on consuming a lot of resources. So I think that's, that's for me, always like a crucial access point to looking at how sustainable a community is, um, thinking about, you know, what, what is the good life in that community. So in a way, you're also assessing not just... Uh, resources, you're assessing human capital, human needs in many ways. So it's almost venturing into social science. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I'm a social scientist by training. And um, I mean, what we look at very much in, in, in the team that I work in, in the European Secretariat, and um, there there is this quote, I, um, I, I don't remember exactly who said it, but it's basically... Um, 
the transition towards sustainability will happen either by design or by disaster. You know, like our societies, they will change and we will have to adapt to um, to a growing global population and, and we will have to adapt to climate change. And the, just the question is, how do we do that? So the question that we deal with in our, in our team is, is very much so how can we change um, in our societies to, to proactively deal with that, you know, so that, that this, the, the transitions that we're facing is not something that happens to us, but that is something that, that we proactively prepare for, that we actually go and, and see, okay, how do we need to build cities that will allow us to live well as communities um, with using less resources, for example. Yeah, you bring up uh, really good points about um, sustainable systems and and how they can help a city get from point A to point B. And then, you know, in the case of greenhouse gas emissions, it's, you know, really a measurable uh, way to think about this. Um, but then there are those more nuanced ways um, that we think about sustainability that don't have clear metrics tied to them. Um, you know, so that's that's the one piece uh, on one side of how people are thinking about sustainability. And then um, with that quote, you're talking about, well, what do we what do cities do in the face of um, disaster, in the face of shocks? And so this idea of uh, resilience is really coming about as this complementary um, way to frame sustainability and thinking about about that. And I just want to point out that, you know, shocks are not just um, these devastating hurricanes that are happening. Um, these shocks are referring to economic shocks. Um, they're referring to security uh, issues that um, we're seeing, you know, be, become real shocks all over the world. And uh, the resilient city is a sustainable city. In, in that it can respond to those shocks and rise to the occasion um, to, to, you know, to not go off course in an extreme way and, and really um, step up in those moments of hardship in, in just the same way that you step up in, in moments of uh, calm and, and ease. And so you know, I'm, I'm starting to think about sustainability, and we do in our USA office, and in these two complementary ways of, of measurability and then um, just the, the resilience piece of how to tie economics and security and sustainable energy and, uh, you know, vibrant uh, communities and jobs and, and food structures all, all together as part of this puzzle. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons we really wanted to interview you guys is because of your respective roles at ICWI. Um, you know, you have these uh, concepts that, and, and these, these trends that you, you study, you analyze. How do you then deliver them to your respective communities that you serve, your, your member communities? And um, what particular roles have you found uh, most beneficial for communities to understand and then have that conversation with their policymakers and their stakeholders? Yeah, so I can start there. Um, you know, we have Peter with us here, my colleague in the European Secretariat, who's uh, celebrating, they're celebrating their 25th anniversary, um, ICLE working right. with the European Union, yeah. Um, Did they make you a cake? Uh, there was a cake, but I wasn't invited to the celebration. <laughs> oh. He held the after party. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> but, you know, what's good is that, you know, ICLE and, and especially the, the countries in Europe have been working on these issues for decades now. And um, us here in the U.S., we're not far behind you. Um, and, and so how it used to be back in the 90s and... And into the early 2000s, um, you know, ICLE was uh, this global expert on sustainability, as we still are, and, and kind of sharing out to the cities um, our resources, our tools, our um, ways to think about greenhouse gas emissions and, and uh, sustainable and resilient infrastructure, those kinds of things. We were, you know, sharing, sharing out in kind of a top-down structure. 
Um, but the industry is really evolving in that you know, cities have gained a ton of capacity in this time, and now they're at the forefront and the leaders, and they're sharing back up to us, you know, what they want to learn more about, what um, what their needs are in, in the sustainability space. So um, you talk about how we share uh, and connect with cities. It, you know, it's really much, much more of this two-way street in this collaborative space than it's ever been before. And so I know in the USA office, um, we just uh, are getting ready to launch this um, this guidebook on how to localize the Paris Agreement. And this all came out of, you know, cities seen, especially this year, you know, um, with the White House back away from uh, upholding these ideals of the Paris Agreement, um, mayors and, and council members and city planners and, and, and you know, concerned citizens wanted to take on that charge and and you know they they have that need they express it to us here at ICLEI uh, USA and so we put together a package of resources and tools to to help them get there um, and and these documents that we're producing uh, are not just static guidebooks um, the resources are a living space for cities and and ICLEI um, and our other partners like you know uh, C40 USDN uh, other organizations that are doing fantastic work that planners would be familiar with, um, Isocarp, uh, you know, a, a living conversation and the resources, the tools will constantly evolve with this two-way street. I think, um, yeah, I'm, I, I think what you, if I would rephrase just what you, what you said, because I, I, I fundamentally agree with that, is that, I mean, you need to understand the work of Eclay as we are a network, right? I mean, and, and that's the whole point. And, uh, and it's all about communication. I mean, we have, let's say, um, around 1,500 members in our network worldwide. And, uh, you know, like, it's not that we just have that expertise. I mean, like, I mean, the things that I know and that I would recommend maybe to, to a city that I work with is very often something that I saw, uh, you know, that another city is doing, right? So, you know, also bringing together cities and sharing their experiences, um, that's really also a fundamental uh, part of our work, you know. Organizing conferences, organizing workshops, organizing meetings, um, where you know where the, 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 the people from different cities can can meet, exchange their experiences, their best practices, um, you know, and, and learn from each other. And sometimes they do that directly, and we facilitate. Sometimes it goes through us, as you know, we see a good example here, and then we share with someone else. Um, but it's really that network character that that defines the work of Eclay, I think. I do have a follow-up, though, and, and I appreciate both of your, your answers, though. I, um, you know, a lot, especially, I think, in this country, but I think there, I suspect there would be parallels in Europe, too. A lot of these conversations certainly are happening at the larger city level. Um, a lot of our folks who might be listening, including your respective hosts here, work for smaller governments. We, we work, for instance, for a town of 17,000 people. Um, how do we expand that conversation that I think a lot of our policymakers and frankly a lot of our citizens perceive to be big city conversations and what lessons or what examples might you have in engaging a smaller community to say hey these these overall discussions on sustainability they apply to you as much as the the Portland's or the uh, Rome's of the world hmm. um, just one thing that I really like about working um, for ECLE is that our membership is not limited to cities of any certain size. I mean, when you look at the list of who are our members, you will find um, local governments of all sizes in all countries. And I think that is great because, as you just pointed out, you know, like we need the small and the medium sized cities as well to, to you know, um, to start that transition towards being more sustainable. Um, I personally have I've been fortunate to uh, to work in in Europe and in Germany with a bunch of uh, let's say smaller um, cities and towns, and what I really learned there is that um, you know size it can be it can be both it can be a challenge but also an opportunity. Small communities can be much more agile. You know they they can be much quicker in adapting it's also um there are different networks in the city you know you you, you said like it's 1700 uh, people living in the, in the city that you that you work in um you know 
there's a there's a much greater chance to actually have personal connections with with your neighbors and with the people in in city hall so there's uh, you know so th there is a, a potential um, to 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 do important work that in large cities you know one million ten million inhabitants it's much more difficult you know to have these conversations um, so that's I that's why I think you know small communities um, you know sometimes it's an advantage yeah and team USA oh I deal a lot with climate action planning um, with s small towns counties um, regional governments that have millions of, of members um, and I'm seeing a real leveling of the playing field on who's what a leader in this space looks like what a city what size a city leader is um, some of our, our small towns like Park City Utah Aspen Colorado I mean they're real leaders in the space um, you know I, I think a lot in terms of greenhouse gas uh, emissions inventories and so a specific example is a uh, city of Dallas is updating their greenhouse gas inventory um, and, and doing you know wanting to do something real comprehensive and uh, it can be a struggle to account for the aviation sector. And so I put them in touch with um, Park City, Utah and Boulder, Colorado, who have done really great methodology around calculating what uh, emissions from their airplanes that are flying in and out of, um, uh, you know, their their jurisdictions. Um, you know, those are beautiful, <laughs> beautiful mountain towns that have a lot of tourism. So so then, you know, they're leaders and sharing back to these much larger cities on on how to you know account for these things and that's you know just one a specific example um of, of many that we're seeing it not broken down so much by you know yes portland and new york city they're absolutely leaders but um so is aspen colorado a much much smaller place you mentioned here extensively that the network once you're plugged in it seems like there's a lot of fluidity to that now, whether it's a planner or a mayor or just a citizen in one of these communities that wants to get plugged in with what ICLE is doing, what's the initial connection like? How do we establish those initial connections with your network in order to have some of these conversations? How are people reaching out to you? That's great. Um, I mean, in the U.S., they're typically sending us some emails. Um, they'll go to a conference like the this ISOCAR um, OAPA conference that we're at here, and and they hear from a, another member city um, that you know here we worked with Ickley on this project, um, and and so you know a lot of it is a referral in that way of just a, a city that we've worked closely with, um, letting their neighbors know uh, around them to to come to Ickley for uh, you know greenhouse gas inventories, climate action planning, um, resilient infrastructure work. Um, that uh, heavily involves city planners. Um, and so we're getting referrals that way. But, you know, specifically thinking in terms of planners, um, it's not just sustainability coordinators um, and resilience officers that we're working with. Uh, I would say a good third of my direct contacts are in the planning office. Um, if they're not a planner themselves, then they're, depart you know, they're housed in the planning office. And, and that's a really strategic place to be. Um, planners have immense power and uh, authority over um, activities that happen in communities that drive greenhouse gas emissions, that, that drive sustainable in infrastructure decisions. Um, so even though we may work most closely with mayors or may, may be most closely with uh, sustainability officers, those that are have a direct... Um, link to the planning office or really close relationships collaborating with um, with those p folks in the planning office uh, can get a lot more done quickly in a really demonstrable meaningful way than um, simply making pledges or commitments you know the action happens in in planning uh, that sounds very similar to to uh, to what we see in Europe yeah um, and I think sometimes it's also um, you know, I might work with with a with a city um, with folks in one department. Um, you know, whatever on on governance issues, 
and then colleagues of mine that work on mobility or that work on climate mitigation or adaptation or biodiversity might work with folks in a different department you know so it's really um yeah whatever you need from us you know like we're there you know just reach out get in touch with us and uh yeah great good to know so, um, and, and you guys kind of touched on it as far as your, your outreach efforts both connected. Um, one thing, and especially that, that I would like to drill, in, drill into a little bit more, is actual community engagement. And I'm going to pick on, on Peter here because he gave a really terrific um, spiel. You're welcome. Yeah, he's making faces at me. But he gave a, <laughs> he gave a terrific uh, spiel, uh, but a, a good uh, uh, presentation yesterday at, at this Congress uh, talking about community engagement and really innovative ways uh, that technology can, can apply to it. Um, one that really stood out to me that you brought up was the example in, in Reykjavik in, in, in Iceland, uh, kind of having a community-based form. Can you talk a little bit about that for our audience and maybe... If, if we could take that example and see maybe how it could fit into the overall sustainability discussion. Mm. So, um, so I'm fortunate right now because we have a, we have a European Union-funded project where we, um, called Smarticipate, where we look at the use of uh, information and communication technology in participation and stakeholder engagement. And um, part of the, so we're actually there developing a, a platform um, to facilitate that participation in planning. Um, but also part of the work was like, you know, having a look at what's, what's already out there, you know, like and what different cities are doing. Um, and I think there's some really interesting examples. I mean, you mentioned uh, Reykjavik. Um, they have a program called Better Reykjavik. In Icelandic, it's I think Betri Reykjavik. Just Google Good it. Good pronunciation find it. on that. Version. Exactly. I, I've been uh, working on my Icelandic recently. Um, so, so what's happening there is that basically the city has a platform where if you have a suggestion and you want a city council to deal with uh, with your idea, just go to that platform, upload your idea, and that get you know just get family and friends to also go there and endorse it you know like it and uh, the city council just says every month we will deal with the top five or top ten um, suggestions on that on that platform it's very simple and you know the outcome might be I think uh, uh, the, the majority of the suggestions city council actually then takes up and implements and sometimes they say, okay, we're actually not in charge. This is something for a district level or this is something for national level. So they, you know, they pass on the, the suggestion. And sometimes they just say, well, thank you, um, but we have good reasons not to do that, you know. And, and I think, and that's great. You know, it's very, it makes it very accessible. And the, the connection of community engagement, participation, and sustainable development is really that there's a lot of knowledge there's a lot of knowledge um, in the community that that we need if we want to make that transformation to to more sustainable cities, and we need to find ways um, to actually to to harvest that knowledge and that information. And um, yeah, technology can play an important role there. Um, but also, just you know, let's not forget that a lot of information is also um, shared by just face-to-face -face conversations. You know, like technology, great. But let's not forget, you know, also very low-key um, formats like town hall meetings. You know, they, they're equally important. You know, we need to just use everything available in our toolbox to, to get the community on board. So thinking about a, a low-key kind of relaxed face-to-face -face example of how cities are doing this, I really like a project that Fort Collins, Colorado runs um, to, to really get stakeholders across all departments thinking about um, sustainability. So they do these uh, lunchtime tours, uh, about 120 or something a year, where every department in the city uh, sends a representative, one or two I think they get each tour, um, and so then it gets to be a, you know, a few dozen people, and they're going out to the wastewater treatment plant one day or to um, the, you know, a, a conservation uh, area that the, that the city was instrumental in. Um, 
and or I think they hopped on some <laughs> bicycles that they all rented and uh, did a tour of the the bike infrastructure in the city one day. Did the bikes have fat tires though? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's no, a local the, brewery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I think they have to. I think that's yeah. a city ordinance. I think so. I think so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know they. They kind of institutionalized this um, this idea that sustainability needs to work across departments, and they found a, a really good fun. It ends up being really fun um, for people. I think often they get beers um, after these sustainability tours, and it's been wildly successful. Um, to, to now, it's not just uh, the city staff that are invited. Um, they'll take each tour a certain number of um, citizens. Uh, which offers that opportunity for um, the staff and and you know their constituents and and you know people living in these spaces to to really think about the issues in a shared way. Um, so I really like that project out of Fort Collins. Now, as you guys have talked about these projects that you've kind of come to the surface and are really giving us some good example of uh, community engagement. You guys are going into these communities, not necessarily representatives of these communities, but working with their representatives. I imagine you're interacting with the uh, constituents there, the communities there. How do you how do you um, communicate effectively, and how do you remain humble and authentic in your interactions with those communities so it doesn't look heavy-handed? So your advice is more guidance, is more responsive to the community you're seeing in front of you versus a one-size-fits-all. Absolutely. Um, you know, in the U.S. Uh, team here, we're membership-based. So a city or a town or a county um, joins us as a member. And whenever they renew their membership each year, we set up a, a kind of a, a planning call together. Um, it's a goal to hear their goals. It's uh, The whole point of it is, what do you want to accomplish in the year ahead? Um, it, it may be... A, they finished their greenhouse gas inventory and now they want to set some sort of renewable energy target um, and uh, or any number of things and so together we work on a plan of you know we, we have our tools and resources and they're available to you as part of your membership let's put it to let's match it to what your goals are and um, so that the end of this membership year uh, you know you have some real progress that you can show on on, on your goal yeah um i mean there you know we we collect best practice examples and we we work a lot with best practice but um but i think you shouldn't forget that you know there's not one size fits all you know there, there can be um you know we might have solutions that we have developed over time and and we know that they work in in a lot of different cities but there is no guarantee that this might also work for you you know like take it um, so if we if we go and work with the city and we come with a with a um, solution that we know might work, um, we still need to see you know is that is that the right solution for that place you know how does it need to be adapted how can it be adapted and uh, how do we maybe yeah sometimes we just need to create something completely different you know that really uh, fits the the needs of of that city and of that community. Talking about ICT for community engagement, you know. Um, Cities that I've talked to that that uh, you know make use of of technology for that, they often say you know it it's great it really increases your reach but there's also limits to um, you know reaching uh, marginalized um, parts of of the community and of the population you know and you need to be aware of that and uh, you know you need to adapt to it. Sure, and and one you, you bring up marginalized communities, and and um, there's also such a thing as perceived political uh, communities like that, and we, we see that in kind of global trends. We have it here in, in the states where we have kind of a uh, reactionary situation where nearly forty percent of our population doesn't believe in in climate science. Uh, we see it also in Europe in the concerns of the international cooperation, the EU experiment uh, with Brexit and, and with the rise of parties like uh, ADF in Germany or, or uh, Front National in, in France. In, in this era where we see kind of these global participations um, be really under attack, how do we take this message of sustainability and really take the politics out of it and look to a... Uh, look to solutions and ways of communicating with people who frankly don't see it or don't believe it at this point. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, that's really at the forefront of everyone's mind um, globally this year, especially going into the annual climate talks that happen. Um, uh, and in, I think you said, how do we take the politics out of it? I think part of it may start with bringing the average citizen into that political space. So um, talking about the, the climate talks, the, uh, the COP events, um, ICLE every year ha- always takes a delegation of um, mayors and elected officials from all over the world. Well, recognizing the critical role that marginalized people play, that um, concerned citizens play, especially now in the United States, um, we're doing something a little different this year and um, taking our our group of champion mayors, but we're also taking uh, what we're calling the U.S. People's Delegation. And this is a group of, um, you know, youth uh, activists, um, city staff members. Uh, We have a a city planner from the the Water District in um, New Orleans uh, attending. another uh, planner from Urbana, Illinois. Um, uh, so they're joining, you know, these, uh, you know, these really engaged youth, um, members of the environmental justice communities, and they're taking this message from more of a grassroots or a, a citizen level of, yes, the politics are terrible right now, frankly, and this is really a contentious issue all over the U.S. And they, these people are from red states and blue states, um, by the way, and um, and they're they're saying that uh, you know what's happening at the national level here in the U.S. Yeah, it's um, it's probably not great for our climate outcomes, but the buck doesn't stop at the top. It stops with citizens, and and they're taking that message to COP to sh- to really show the world that um, you know these ideals from Paris they're happening at the ground level. You know, climate action doesn't get implemented right there at the at the top. It's not just a national decree. It happens in cities and towns. It happens whenever a a, a fossil fuel power plant gets shut down, and um, is you know a wind plant is brought uh, you know online, and and that that happens in people's backyards. Um, it happens in Western Colorado, where one of these uh, people's delegates is from, and you know she, uh, you know, recognized that the tone is toxic, and so she she went pretty much door to door in her community, and um, she lives in a very conservative uh, place and in, in, in some purple counties there, and gathered you know a group of of people in in her home, and. They're taking their message of climate action to to Denver to the state house, and they they've seen um, really great successes on especially building efficiency. And and the, you know these are just people that don't didn't really know or care a whole lot about climate until this past year, and um, their views on climate are not so tied to their political uh, you know persuasion. And so I think that maybe. It's not as much of a question of how do we take the politics out of it as how to get the the voices of the people inserted into the conversation um, in a meaningful way. Yeah, awesome. That's really enlightening. There, I don't think there's much that I can add. I mean, that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was wonderfully said. Um, maybe in my own words, and I mean, I, I try to you know, explain that also early in the conversation. Um, what we're thinking about is, you know, how can we make that sustainability transition inclusive, right? I mean, it, we will, if, you know, we, let's say, we create more, um, you know, energy efficient uh, economies and so on, you know, and if, if that leads to the fact that, um, you know, people will be left behind, then we failed. Because this is something, you know, we're doing this, like, we're doing this for everybody, you know. It's not the point of, you know, like, winners and losers. It's not the point of, you know, if we, uh, if we try to, to transition from, from a fossil fuel-based um, economy to, to one that relies more on renewable energy, you know, we have to make sure that people that might lose their jobs, they get the possibility to, to find a new job. They get the job training, you know. Um, we talk about 
you know, more more energy efficiency and, and using less energy. Well, there's definitely people also in developed countries that they might just have to consume more energy to, to get to a level of, of well-being and quality of life, you know. So that's that's really like making that transition as inclusive as possible and, and, and you know, try not to have um, winners and losers there. I think that's that's the key because, you know, we're not in this for, you know, for the short game. This is like we have to think about it in the long term, you know. And we need everybody on board for that. We've talked about a lot of different subjects here under the header of sustainability. And the two that I wanted to visit on, and I don't know if I have a, quite the question formulated at this point, but the two topics that I wanted to get a little bit more of your expertise on is the youth and financing. Um, the youth really being how we plan for uh, and engage those in our community that likely are going to be, they're going to be the stewards of this planet. They're going to be the ones that are coming up and picking up the torch as we move on. I want to understand a little bit more about some of the tools you might you know, suggest to engage them, but also on the financing side. How are we going to pay for this in some of our communities and what areas, uh, maybe those that we might think might not jump to mind right away, might we tap into in order to increase our community sustainability? Ah, that's two very um, excellent choices of, uh, of topics. Join us for the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which really could be, and this, this may be a, a more of a simple answer than we would love to have in a greater setting, but I just, on those two topics, before we wrap up, I wanted to get a bit more of your insight. Mm. So, um, youth, just quickly, um, like, thinking about it from a European with a European background and a German background I think there's a lot happening that could be more happening but you know there's a there's a great movement um, in Europe and and around the world actually uh, like education for sustainable development um, and there's you know there are great projects uh, you know getting kids on board already when they're quite young you know and just with very like accessible topics having them understand you know the, the the vulnerability of ecosystems and and their role in it and their responsibility and also to show them and teach them that they can that they can make a difference with with their um, behaviors um, you know like starting like you know with with young kids and just you know talking with them about the issues that are relevant in, a, in an accessible way I think that's key and then you know just continuing that um, you know through high school years and so on um, Finance, well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really not my my field of expertise. Um, just highlighting one or two like little things, you know, we, we see more um, also like crowdsourcing and more innovative ways of financing um, important projects. Something that I found really incredible as a as a as an example in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Um, neighbors actually crowd um, crowdfunded a pedestrian bridge over some uh, railway tracks. You know, we think about crowd uh, crowdfunding when we talk about it. You know, more for like small, fluffy, you know, kind of fun initiatives. But no, they actually built infrastructure through uh, through crowdfunding. Fantastic. So wow. you know, I think there's there's really some potential in there. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, just I'll I'll leave it I'll leave it at that. Well, thinking about the kids these days, um, damn kids! <laughs> you know they're doing some really incredible things. Um, I really like the model that one of our partner groups they're called I Matter, um, and they're working with youth uh, to tr to train them up. Um, you know the. They use a lot of web-based um, trainings and, and on the ground. But what they're training the youth to do at this middle school age level is to work directly with city council um, and on climate uh, issues and making sure that there's a strong equity component in, in their climate action plans. Um, so they worked in 17 states and in dozens of cities and towns um, with these middle schoolers and these um, early high school age kids to draft resolutions and 
um, do scoping of equity in their community, um, and, and collaboratively with their city council members are developing this kind of climate action plan 2.0 um, is, is how we think of it here at uh, ICLEI. And um, it has a very strong equity component and a very strong stakeholder engage, engagement component, um, which we hadn't you know, really seen too much of in the past in, in the climate action planning process. Um, so that's some, something really innovative that's happening with um, youth. Uh, in California, we have another project called um, Unite to Green, where... Uh, uh, kids are trained as climate ambassadors um, and and now uh, resilience ambassadors for their communities um, and they're uh, in underserved neighborhoods typically and going door to door and and starting out with getting a sense of how climate change is impacting um, their neighbors and and their friends uh, devastating fires and heat waves of course throughout California and the west in the West um, right now, and they're they're really making that connection to changes in weather patterns that um, that their that their neighbors and their their friends and family might not other otherwise make, um, and so they're playing that really ambassador role that uh, you know ends up energizing the community and empowering them. You know when you when you see what might be. Uh, one of the drivers behind the devastation in your community or even just hardship generally. Um, when you can call it out for what it is or what it might be, uh, then you can really take action. And we're seeing in, in Hayward, California specifically, um, youth leading that charge. On the finance piece, I just wanted to point out that there are some things that cities can do, especially around um, renewable energy development and procurement, um, that kind of pay for themselves. Um, also, building efficiency. Uh, you know, uh, thinking about building efficiency specifically, you don't necessarily need to retrofit every single building in your community. If you just re- retrofit the worst offenders, maybe the 5% or 10%, we see that um, the municipal buildings can save 40% of their energy costs just by targeting those worst offenders. Um, similarly with procurement, taking a hard look at, um, at the purchases going on and, you know, local governments are... Uh, you know, immense spenders when it comes to um, goods and services uh, in the United States. And uh, sometimes switches to more sustainable products actually end up being far cheaper um, than the conventional products. So thinking about how to produce this sustainable vision for your, your community and what a sustainable community looks like, it doesn't necessarily need to be a more expensive route to go. Thank you, and I, get I understand that's a complex topic, so just a couple of lessons shared there I think are very important. Yeah, so um, in wrapping up, guys, uh, we are, of course, supported uh, in partnership with the uh, Oregon chapter, the American Planning Association, and you guys are obviously with ICWI, and we strongly encourage our listeners to check ICWI out. Are there any other uh, professional organizations or resources that you guys work with frequently, either uh, NGOs, uh, media, government that that you find helpful and that our our listeners may find helpful. And I'll add on to that. If there's, we've talked about a lot of resources today. If there's a resource that's outside of your purview that you also would like to, you know, promote and say that this is something that you you might want to look here, you might want to look at this resource, even though it might not be what our listeners might anticipate uh, would be appropriate, but you see good information coming from those resources. We'd love to learn about those as well. Absolutely. Well, my uh, friend and colleague here, Peter, is in the um, European Secretariat in Freiburg, and they're real leaders on on sustainable procurement. Um, and they have produced just fantastic resources. Um, one of them is called this Procura Plus Guide, um, the Sustainable Procurement Platform. Um, so if you're really interested in uh, procurement, um, you know, which is something that uh, planners sometimes ha- can have a lot of influence on um, and get started on really right away. Those changes can be made uh, in within one budget cycle. Um, I'd say check out those uh, sustainable public procurement um, platform resources out of the Freiburg office there at Ickley. Um, 
I also want to you know point out again that that localizing the Paris Agreement um, guide. If your communities or you personally are real fired up about sticking to Paris, uh, to the Paris Accord, and and the ideals that um, lowering greenhouse gas emissions makes our communities more resilient, safer. Um, or you just think it's cool, like this guy. This guidebook will be launched um, in, by the time that this podcast comes out. Um, so check in with us here at the ICLE USA office. It's just chock full of of ways that your um, you know your city can really engage in this space, and and there's specific ways. You know, it's uh, you know promoting uh, building energy codes, um, net zero energy. Uh, um, you know, joining a, a regional food network, and and we kind of map out um, h- how the city can influence agriculture and and, and food systems. Um, so those really specific uh, things are all, all part of this um, guidebook. And then, lastly, if you're interested in in this youth component and really how to engage um, on youth and equity, uh, then get in touch with us, with us about that group I Matter um, that I mentioned. And, and this Unite to Green project that um, was ran with the city of Hayward, California. Um, both really excellent groups and have produced just wonderful trainings that are easy to replicate in your own, in your own town. Um, so just want to point, point that out and give a plug to those guys. They're doing great work. Sounds great. Um, well, obviously, go check out all the Eclay websites, the European Secretariat website, and so on. Our African Secretariat is hosting the Global Center for Biodiversity, so if you're interested in that, um, there's some great uh, resources there. Um, just maybe something that I, that I personally really enjoy and that I follow is if you're interested in um, you know, cities as a global phenomenon and if you want to learn more and, and, and understand you know, what's happening around the world, um, I, I really enjoy following uh, CityScope and the reporting that they're doing about global processes. And, I mean, Greg Scruggs was, uh, was also here giving a talk at the Isocarb World Congress. And, um, yeah, I think that's really just a very accessible um, resource if, if, you, you know, if you're interested in cities and cities around the globe and what's happening there. Thank you. Now, as we're closing out today, we always want to ask our guests if they have topics or if they have areas that we might want to focus on for future interviews, do you have a handful that you might leave us with that we might consider uh, either on this subject or others that we might want to look at bringing folks in to talk to? And if you have specific individuals, you can always recommend those as well, but we're always uh, on the lookout for some good information. Well, I'd love to see you cover um, resilient infrastructure. I mean, it's been a hard year for, for cities, um, and I'd like to see them build back better, smarter, more inclusively, and, um, and uh, in a way that really safeguards themselves for any events that happen in the future. So that resilience on, on infrastructure, that'd be real cool. Um, a topic that, that's kind of having a, a renaissance in, in Europe, and I think like the U.S. is much more um, talking about that right now, but it's like rural-urban linkages, um, and that's also something that always came up here um, at the at the conference. You know, we talk about cities, and and they're very important, um, but we also need to you know keep an eye on you know on the rural areas and making sure that no one is left behind. Um, you know, and to see how we can you know overcoming that false dichotomy that they're really you know like two separate. Uh, spaces, but to actually understand, you know, how we can create synergies between cities and rural areas that are beneficial for all people um, and all areas there. Um, I personally find that a very relevant um, topic, especially also thinking about the political changes that we've seen all around the globe. Um, you know, a lot comes down to actually that rural-urban divide yeah. and how to bridge that divide. I think that's really relevant for our times. Thank you, and thank you both for being here today. I, I can say that we've very much enjoyed having you, so thank you for making the time to come join us today. Yeah, really enjoyed it. We appreciate it. Yeah, Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. To learn more about PETA or Kale or any of our guests, visit the Oregon chapter of the American Planning Association webpage under the News and Media tab.
On the next episode of Pints with Planners, we will bring you a conversation on planning for wildfire with Molly Mowry, AICP from Wildfire Planning International, and Will Smith, Senior Planner from Wasco County, Oregon. Thank you once again for joining us for this episode of Pints with Planners. And please, as always, plan responsibly. Additional support for Pints with Planners was provided by the Oregon Chapter of the American Planning Association. PWP's theme music was written by Chris Lesane. Haley Schiller is our graphic designer. Production and editing was handled by me, your host, Ryan Kruger. The views and opinions expressed on this episode are that of our guests and your hosts, and may not necessarily reflect those of the Oregon Chapter of the American Planning Association, the City of Troutdale, or any other affiliates of this program. If you have comments or questions, you can send us a message via the Pints with Planners Facebook page, find us on Twitter, or you can email us at pintswithplanners at gmail.com. We look forward to having you join us next time for another episode of Pints with Planners.